Patrick and Tom thought they had escaped the hell of Amityville, but another franchise has gotten its hooks into them. The Amityville Podcast goes to hell. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I'm Pat. And back to hell we go. It's, yeah... And it's not just hell. It's direct-to-video hell, mm-hmm. which is a special hell, but not the one reserved for pederasts and the people who talk in, during movies. Uh, although the, there were some Jeeper Creeper movies that went oh. so straight to video. He's pederast. There's, did the last, the most recent one? I thought it had like a little, the shorty theatrical release. I honestly didn't check. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know more has been getting theatrical release again because of, you know, empty theaters and stuff, but, mm. um, but no, I wasn't going to invest myself in looking into that. So. That's fair. Yeah. God help me, I like those first two. <laughs> no, I don't feel good about it. No. I, I won't I, go I back and rewatch them. Yeah, before I knew who the guy was, yeah, they, they yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. But anyway, Hellraiser Inferno, the first of all of the rest of the movies. Well, I, I guess, like, the new one, the Hulu one, it gets kind of iffy how the streaming premieres count as, like, direct-to-video premieres. Right. It's It used to be that to go straight-to-video was kind of ghettoizing. Mm. Um, even in the 80s, stuff might have seemed like it was straight-to-video, but... It was playing like New York, LA, or like yeah. two screens in South Carolina, or they tested at drive ins. Right. Like, you know, like I never knew Night of the Comet to play in a theater in Maryland, but mm. it played theaters. Fair. Like, there are box office numbers for a lot of these. Even technically, Police Academy 7, people say straight to video, that it played New York, LA. That's to a fulfill a com- Moscow? Yes. Okay. It's terrible. I had a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it by contract, had to have a theatrical release, so yeah. they dumped it for a week, New York, L.A. Uh, Idiocracy, um, a lot of people say straight to video, but Fox did contractually have to put it out for one week in L.A. Mm-hmm. with zero ad. Like, they Great. didn't even, in the newspaper, in, like, in any of the L.A. papers, I don't think there was an ad for the movie playing except listing under mm. the theater that it had showtimes. Yeah. Fox tried to bury that movie hard. I've never seen it. Oh, it's great. I need to see it. Yeah. No, it's on the list. I remember that Nicolas Cage, like, had this incredible run where, like, it was only very recently that uh, his any of his movies actually went direct to video. Like, they always had, like, the nominal, like, the bear, one weekend like, yeah. release. I remember seeing, like, Punisher Warzone I got to see in the theater, and, like, the next week when I wanted to show, drag my brother to go see it because it's amazing, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't anywhere. Yeah. It was already gone. Yeah. Because they didn't understand how good that movie was. Yeah. Eh, people have come around on it. I hope so. Yeah, I, I definitely... That movie gets a lot more respect now. Well, it's like I, I was at the Best Buy, and there's a 4K steelbook release of Punisher Warzone, and if I'm not the audience for that, then, mm. uh, then nobody's buying it. So yeah. And you I bought did. it. Oh, of course I didn't. Right. <laughs> so to say, if you didn't buy it, then who is the audience? I'm saying it. I mean, I will go get it. It's the greatest Punisher movie ever made. Yeah. Um... But that's nothing about Hellraiser Inferno. But yeah, so also after after four, 
Uh, barely came out. After Ford barely came out, Dimension and Miramax, the Weinsteins, the whole group, they were like, well, we just bought the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting rid of it, but we can't invest this kind of money into it. And I think there was discussion, like I was on the the Wikipedia and the IMDb, and there was discussion about making a theatrical movie but when they saw how much another theatrical movie was going to cost they're just like let's just do direct-to-video from yeah. now on and direct-to-video by this point because this is this is 2000 this is 2000 um by part this four, is like four years after the last one yeah because hmm. um, yeah part four was 96 and the home video boom like straight to video was already massive by hmm. that point uh, I even remember like one of the first prestige air quote straight to video movies mm-hmm. was Tremors 2 Universal mm-hmm. specifically like even budgeted in theatrical critic screenings for Tremors 2 because I got to see one nice then put the movie out with a lot of advertising and a lot of fanfare it wasn't like they were dumping the products to be forgotten Yeah, they just saw that the theatrical rollout would be too expensive. And at the time, digital projection wasn't a thing, so to strike a single print of a movie, like the f- actual film copy, cost anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000 to make. Mm. So, yeah, if you're not going to make twenty grand at a single theater over the course of its run, uh, you're losing money. So Straight to Video was just financially responsible in a lot of cases. Yeah. And again, this is not a judgment on the quality of the film itself. Not at all. There's some great <laughs> movies. I love Tremors, too. I know, but come but, on. They're, like The movie studios are making a, a, an implicit judgment on the movie. True. They don't have the confidence it's going to pull in the money. Um, They don't know if the market's there for it. And uh, Fast and Furious 2 was originally considered... Well, no. 2 was theatrical. 3, because they had lost their main leads, was going to be straight to video. I could have seen that. It was a literal, just last minute, why not? Lucas Black is not the guy to fill asses in seats. No. <laughs> but they they gave it a shot, and it turns out that was the right call. Yeah, it was. That, that movie, number three, you know, is good. Like, it was for, uh, up until, like, the last couple installments was the odd man out installment. Until right. now it is, nope, full canon, everything is weird. And now at least four sequels are in fact prequels to Tokyo to right. Tokyo Drift. Yeah. But it was the first one Justin <laughs> Lin had come in on. Yeah. Um, who basically revitalized yeah, the whole thing. Took over for I mean most of the run of it. Uh, yeah, I think he's got at least three, including that one. I thought, uh, I thought he had done three, four, five, or, uh, three, four, five, six, seven. I think seven is James Wan, or Wan. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. But Justin Lin did a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, not like all of them all. Not all of them. Yeah. But he owned that franchise for for the for well, the for the defining stretch. He was the one that understood. Let's get some more action in this bitch. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's get too let's, much action. In. Let's just overwhelm. I don't even understand what you just said. Too much action. What well, is, what does this what does this mean? If you're talking to the studio heads and telling them what you want to do, they're going to say it's too much action, and you mm-hmm. say, you say that now. Yeah. But yeah. when we're driving cars from one skyscraper to another, I'm sorry, what? Oh no, it's that was also James Bond. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like yeah. the franchise gets there. Too much action is no longer a concern. No. Oh, they're yeah. <laughs> 
There's I don't, yeah. They're going to space. They went to I'm space. sorry, they what now? They went to space in yeah. number nine. They went to space in number nine. They actually did it. I couldn't mm. believe it. <sighs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was... We we're, were doing Fast and Furious after Hellraiser, right? Uh, well, it's not horror. Let's wait until it's the horror. Fan- they're horrible. Let's wait until they're complete. Let's do a complete right. retrospective. Because we both probably rewatched some of them recently, so... I mean, it's ne- I'm never too far away from watching it Fast and the Furious. That's true. I'm just saying we can plan it out. We can fast ah. Ah, beforehand. Man, that would be an interesting pun for that franchise. Yeah. The Fast and the Furious. First you fast, then you're furious. Yeah, which, I mean, that's a hangry thing, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But, so, they decided to make, keep Hellraiser going, but not as much money. And so, enter Scott Derrickson and, was it Martin Broadsmith? Or what is this, the uh, the writer's name? Uh, the writer's name is behind this lock screen. Uh, Paul Harris Boardman. Boardman. See, there, uh, all the letters I was saying were there just in the wrong order. Yeah. Um... Contrary to popular opinion, apparently this was this script was actually written with the intent of it being a Hellraiser movie. Really? That is what Scott Derrickson says. <coughs> and he has insisted on this several times. I think Doug has backed him up on the way he understood the way the production went. Okay. So it, I know a lot of people felt like it abandoned I mean it does abandon yeah. a lot of the other storylines because well, those storylines are either done or not relevant or you don't have the actors, but yeah. yeah, do something new. We're again, we're in a new market. Let's make them anthology style, where each one is a different story. It's self-contains. Yeah. Nobody's safe. Um, and it wasn't even named five. It was originally. It was just Hellraiser Inferno. Yeah. So you weren't worried about. Yeah. Once. Mm-hmm. Let's not worry about numbers. Let's just make sequels and throw them out there, and you can just pick them up in any order. Mm-hmm. Which is a great idea and perfect for the home video market. Oh, the six is gone. Well, seven's here. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, um, Scott Derrickson had this was his first movie, I think. Possibly. His first big one. Um, I can pull that up in a second, but like I'm looking at the writer had done Urban Legends Final Cut. Yeah. Before this, afterwards, Exorcism is Exorcism. Of Emily Rose is probably his best known one, and that is also directed by Scott Derrickson. Correct. They, they became yeah. kind of a pair for, yeah. for a stretch. Uh, Love did, Exorcism of Emily Rose. That movie's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably their best collaboration. I was not nuts about Devil's Knot. The actual case it's, it's based yeah. on, I think, is fascinating. The yeah. West Memphis Three. Okay, but I just didn't think. Eh. <laughs> I've watched so many documentaries on it that it was kind of like mild tourism for what I know of the case. Got it. I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, I got it, cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, and actually he's, I mean, he's got other credits here and there, some uh, TV work and all that, but not as high profile as... Scott Derrickson went on to direct the first Doctor Strange movie. Correct. Which was a good choice. He did well with that movie. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, unfair to compare it to the Sam Raimi movie that follows. Right. Um, <laughs> honestly, it opened up like had he not done some of the like the fractal visual type yeah. things, it wouldn't have been there for Sam. 
Like, it might not have been an appealing movie for Raimi to step into without basically breaking the visual logic that most of the MCU had been grounded in. Because there's a grounded look to a lot of MCU stuff. This... No, it's no, it's funny because you bring it up because now I finally realized that like he Sam really did throw everything else to throw everything out. Like I think they do he does one of the they do one mirror universe gag. Um but then like just even the feel of New York in Doctor Strange 2, it feels like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movie. True. It's like yeah. it actually feels like a Sam Raimi movie, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh because, well, Sam only ever wants to do what Sam wants to do, which well, yeah. is fair. I and mean, For Love of the Game is the another Sam Raimi New York looking. <sighs> God. I, I, baseball season has started. I was so, and I like that movie. I was excited at the beginning of that movie because, like, it's all focused on Costner on the mound. And then you see, you it, like, it puts you in his mindset of how does he focus on everything. And then after five minutes of that, it is extended flashback and extended flashback of this horrible romance story with, uh, was it Kelly Preston? Is the girl is the the woman in that one? I remember Jenna Malone's the the girl, the little girl. Yeah, and they have like this whole sequence where they're playing Monopoly and they're in costumes, and it's like it's. I don't like Kevin Costner in baseball in general, but that movie was uh, atrociously. I am on the flip side of it. I'm a, I'm a Kevin Costner fan. Uh, incorrect. I grew up on <laughs> baseball. I'm Balmer born and raised. We had the Blast. We had the O's. We had the Skipjacks for a stretch. Um, but Weren't they we, hockey? Hmm? Weren't they hockey? Yeah. Yeah. And not NHL, but still we had a hockey team. And I still got some gear. But, um, so yeah, I'm... So Kevin Costner and baseball always works for me. Uh, Bull Durham, I love. Bull Durham Field is a good is movie. Field of Dreams is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Right. We don't agree. But I don't think that one will be one of the interesting conversations for our listeners. Uh, um, no. We should go back to Hellraiser. Yeah. And Scott Derrickson and Dr. Mm-hmm. Strange. No, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Because, like, honestly, No Way Home uh, does more with the Dr. Strange gags that Scott Derrickson built than... Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. They do have, like, Sam does continue the, um, when they're zipping through the different universes, that does feel like the scene that Scott Derrickson had with the uh, the Ancient One pushing Strange through all the different dimensions and everything right. as yeah. well. That one definitely did. That's just kind of funny. But, uh, yeah. And most recently he did The Black Phone, which... Mm-hmm. Is not a great movie, but not because of the direction, but because it was a short story that they stretched out into a feature length. I actually still haven't seen it yet. It's uh, been on my list for a while. I like Joe Hill in general. Oh yeah, and I do like the story it's based on. And I like. I, I, I'm certain it's a great short story. Yeah, uh, but just I don't, just. I only literally this past week got around to watching Megan, which mm. um, fair we had talked about, I didn't realize was the same director the as Black, Housebound. The Black Phone came out first. I know, but as soon as I found You're out... You're not doing these in order. <laughs> director of Housebound meant I'm watching it tonight. Fair. So... Um, and apparently, uh, Deliver Us From Evil is the last time that uh, these guys collaborated. Mm. Um, yeah, writer, director, whatnots, too. Also, I haven't seen Sinister. I hear that's very good. Yeah, 
I did like Sinister. Mm. I kind of confuse it with Insidious, um, Insidious, right. and and lumping into the Conjuring universe, which mm. is tangential to the Amityville horror, but not actually a part of it. Still need to watch. Well, actually, it's uh, the Devil Made Me Do It's on Tubi now, so I was thinking I would watch it as like a prelim thing to see how connected it actually is because supposedly that's the one where they do the defense they I watched it and I don't remember much I, 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 that, that tracks for the movies we've watched yeah but like that one in particular like <laughs> I know like I even pulled up my letterbox to make sure um, if any of you don't know there's an app called letterboxd where you can follow your friends and diary, you know keep a diary of all the movies you watched review them or just make wishes anyway I have one. Um, and it's that. sometimes the only way to know that I'm not wasting time on a apparently a forgettable movie. Mm. And yeah, that would like, I, I looked at like all the conjurings and all of the, you know, insidiouses. And I had seen more of them than I thought. Mm. And I decided to fill in the gaps and they just drifted right out of my head the same way yeah, this is my shocked face yeah but whatever you're picturing at home is probably accurate yeah it is uh, I was told I have a very uh, calming voice this week interesting yeah not when you're talking about Transformers, but... I think it's a very excited and enthusiastic voice when I talk about Transformers. Exactly. I like, I, mean, I like to think it's infectious when I talk about Transformers. Which is not calming and soothing. Two different tones. You have speeds you can operate on. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You're, a while ago, an insurance rep told me that I have a very man voice. Oh. Yeah. It was kind of neat. But anyway, Hellraiser. Hellraiser 5, or just Hellraiser Colon Inferno, starring Craig Schaefer and uh, Nick Turturro? Nick Turturro and, and James Ramar. Yeah. And Doug Bradley is pinhead for a total of two and a half minutes. <laughs> Which I think is great. I love the idea that we're getting back to the monsters are the humans, mm -hmm. the icing is the Cenobites. Yeah, it's almost like Tales from the Crypt, except that the Crypt Keeper steps in at a pivotal moment. Uh, with, yeah, with the chains and the hooks. Right. You know, yeah. It's like, oh, it's time for the chains and the hooks. Okay, yeah. I am needed. Pinhead X Machina. Pinhead X Machina. Yes. All right. And he's not a deus, but he's, you know. Oh, he ain't deus. No. no. He, he ain't deus. Yeah. But, so we're going to watch that. It's still on the HBO uh, as of April 2nd. God knows when this will air. But, you yeah. know. We are still banking him. We're still working on it. Uh, but we'll see you guys in a minute. back but are we back is this just a repeat of something we've just done Ugh. is this a dream is this a hell loop or did the cat accidentally unplug the recorder stupid goddamn cat yeah you we're talking about you you can't ignore me no senate baby sucked oh my god anyway so uh i still like this movie a lot same uh it is a little long in the middle mm -hmm. or it, it, it just 
it just kind of drags. We we, we kind of we get all we build up the momentum and then we just kind of stall out a bit. Right. And in our previous thing, I mentioned like all the breadcrumbs that they set up as a detective story. Yeah. You need to have false leads and stuff like that. You sure, need to sure. have things to chase down. Mm-hmm. But to make sure that each of those gets a little micro payoff, Ugh. it just stacks the last stacked a little heavier than you need it. They wanted credit for telling every single plot thread. Right. But Regardless of whether every single plot thread was interesting. Yeah. Sometimes you want to tie everything up in a nice little bow and you wind up with a Gordian knot. Yeah. And... And you just have to start slashing. Hey, luckily we have Pinhead. Yep. For two and a half minutes. So Craig Schaefer stars as Detective Joseph Thorne. And uh, he's, this is his second foray into Clyde Barker town because mm-hmm. he was in uh, he was Boone in Nightbreed mm-hmm. which we love Nightbreed yep both versions both versions director's got preferred I mean come on right it's longer it's actually no it's um, oh wait it, it is it's, it's it is longer, longer but they cut some of the original cut out right stuff. yeah so it's kind of like it's like, like it's a full re-edit it's not just a packing materials kind of thing yeah it's like just like it's longer but only like a net like five or ten minutes longer right than the original version which is kind of nuts yeah this is the key difference between expanded edition or whatever and director's cut yeah because the director's cut so, and they used to throw that term on stuff until some directors were like, I didn't approve that. Mm. I, I, I gave you the movie I wanted. You just threw extra scenes in. That's not a director's cut. Yeah. Uh, the Coen brothers, quite specifically, when they did the director's cut of Blood Simple, uh, reduced the length by four minutes. Mm. They're like, yeah, they asked us to do a director's cut, and we found scenes that we didn't think worked and like bits that we trimmed out so it was a just leaner story. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Like, make the movie better than the we we did before? No. So we did that. No, the audience wants more. Yeah, they want, like, 15 minutes of the assassin and his time in the Russian circus. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Which, if you have not listened to the audio commentary on Blood Simple, anyone at home, if you own it, awesome if you don't own it go buy it yeah and listen to the audio commentary for that being one of their more serious films especially early in the career this is like I the only, their first movie I think this is the only movie they, they've made where there's a commentary track yeah mm-hmm. and it's bullshit it is front to back scripted by them. It's a film historian from Forever Young Pictures reading a script by them about the making of the movie where they claim it was originally six hours long yep. and that uh, M. Emmett Walsh's character was, was raised by the Russian circus. Mm-hmm. Um, there's deep symbolism to his lighter. They talk about the special effects of the movie including animatronics and CGI uh, yeah. at their early stages in 1984. Yeah. It's for as serious as that movie is. Their com- that commentary track is one of the funniest Coen Brothers scripts, and it's I'm a great. big fan of theirs. It is just hysterical. Oh, it is! It's yeah. amazing. Uh, definitely track it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also I need to watch soon. We're never going to do an all Coen's retrospective on this because no. I wouldn't be able to complain. But I tracked down. There was a remake of Blood Simple. Um, from China set in I believe feudal China I haven't watched it yet but I did finally track it down alright um yeah anyway yeah 
That's kind of neat. Like, they did a remake of uh, Unforgiven over there as well. Oh, okay. With uh, Ken Watanabe as the Bill Money character. Huh. But it's like samurai swords and gotcha. everything instead of guns. But Into it? Oh, very much so. I just haven't gotten around to tracking yeah. it down. I guess so. that's kind of the inverse of doing Seven Samurai is the Magnificent Seven. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're going backwards now. Yeah. yeah. So, Craig Schaefer is Joseph Thorne. Detect, uh, part-time homicide detective, full-time piece of shit. Mm. Oh, he's the whole turd. Uh, he's, he's the whole turd. He's just every single... Like, from the minute he's on screen, he's being a smug asshole, doing cocaine, doing close-up magic, and uh, stealing evidence, hooking up with prostitutes, framing his partner. He's uh, just a piece of shit. Yeah, he ain't good. He's terrible. Yeah, and he does do his own hand magic. I don't know if he did his own cocaine. It was probably props. It did look like there's a couple scenes where Craig Schaefer does appear to be doing the tricks himself, which right. I didn't notice before, and mm-hmm. I was kind of impressed by that. Yeah. Because, like, the one when he does the first trick, when he makes the cocaine disappear, it's just uh, you see hands, but uh, you're, you're, like, from his, almost his point of view perspective, and so yeah. you see the hands, but you don't see the body they're attached to, so right. I kind of th- assumed that. But then when he's sort of like the hand magicians brought in for Bowie for yeah, Labyrinth. Exactly. And um, then uh, in the later scene, though, you do see him disappear a uh, Chinese stress ball. And mm-hmm. uh, it, he does do it, and it looks good. Yeah. Schaefer. Mm hmm. Yeah, now doing your own cocaine on screen. I've always wondered, like, when you eat in a movie, mm-hmm. they have the bucket so that, like, you do a mouthful and then off camera you spit it out so that you're not eating 15 meals for a sequence. Sure. But what do they do for the cocaine? Is there, like, a, ha- a, a specific hanky that you just blow it out in? They have an equivalent bowl, but no one uh, on record has ever used it. Interesting. Yeah, they all just, it's like, you want to do another? You want to do another take? I'm good for another take. I can do like a zillion other takes if you want to do another take. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. My energy wasn't there, man. Uh, (laughs) I'm feeling this one. I'm feeling this one. I'm feeling this one. I'm feeling (laughs) ratchet. So, uh, Joe gets called in to investigate a fairly grotesque uh, scene with his partner, played by Nicholas Turturro, uh, Tony Nanonin, which, yes, that is a palindrome. Yes, it is a plot point. Well, the plot, plot point. point. It's, it's, it's a, a character flavor. It's character flavor. There um, is a lot of good character It's a lot of good character flavor. flavor um, yeah, because it opens with the detect- um, our lead detective basically saying he likes puzzles and games and stuff like that, yeah. as evidenced in this first, like, ten minutes or so. He likes crosswords. And so it's like, what's an eight-letter word for uh, butcher? Yeah, yeah, butcher. Abattoir. Yeah. And then, oh, your name is Nononin. What's a ten-letter word for your name? My name is Seven Letters. Right. So yeah, plays with the whole. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he also plays chess, and he does at the basketball court. He plays chess at the basketball court, presumably in a gymnasium, not like an outside like park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a post basketball game doing chess and doing the clock gag. mm -hmm. Because if there's chess in a movie, it always has to be speed chess, and we always have to be hitting the clock. Yeah. Nobody knows what the clock means. Uh, I know what the clock means. I know you know what the clock means, but it's a great, like, nobody... But everyone at home listening to this podcast, fucking look it up. Yeah. Whatever. It's a clock with chess. 
Duh. Everybody knows what that means. It's so they know <laughs> when their eggs are done, when the game is over. Exactly. Um, but it's kind of neat to see uh, a post-Hellraiser scene from police to, from a police perspective. Like, the yeah. opening of the movie is just, like, somebody had opened the box, somebody had had whatever time that they were going to have with the box, and now there's just a mess on, mm-hmm. on, on the floor. There's, like, skinned body, hooks and chains everywhere, and uh, candles and cocaine. Yeah. This, like... Stepping outside of the threaded story that we've had in one through four, which does, I mean, track from, you know, Kirstie's story all through to the building. Yeah. And in its face, like, that's the threaded story of the box. <laughs> so, like, this was really fun since we're not doing that. The world of Hellraiser. How do you find the box? How do you track it down? What does it look like afterwards? Yeah. What is the outsider's perspective on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's it's what we wanted to explore, really, yeah. but in a way that was actually exploring it, not just kind of sidelined in some of the others. No, well, like in the the second movie opens up with like the uh, aftermath of the of the mess of the first one, but right. it fairly since you have Kirsty there, it's basically somebody trying to explain everything and argue that no crazy shit's happening as opposed to well this guy got murdered in an interesting way. Yeah. Also, they, this box looks neat. Mm-hmm. Nobody in this movie has any clue of any of the previous movies. Yeah, because this is also uh, taking place in Denver, Colorado, of all as places. We found out two thirds through. Uh, yeah, we were a little confused. Well, they like they do the movie thing where they don't like reference where they are, and then we couldn't tell what the license plates were because it's like green it was like with a, white lettering. Yeah, and all the cops had New York accents, mm. but the light seemed to be very. L.A., California. The fashion kept reminding me of early Dexter, uh, like Miami-type looks. And a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the trees and stuff, I was thinking, like, South Carolina. That's fair. But no, Denver, Colorado. The one we didn't say. I mean, obviously. Yeah. I like the idea of of, uh, Hellraiser 5 and community happening in the same state. Yeah. It's weird. But so, uh, Joe, uh, Joe knows the victim, Jay Cho. They will say the name Jay Cho, his full name, over and over and over again for the first half of the movie mm-hmm. for some reason. Uh, Joe finds a uh, ornate candlestick that is like they 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 kind of uh, suggest that it's a atta- the box is attached to this candlestick. Like it's a base, yeah. But it's not really not in any weird significant way. No. Cuz he takes the box and leaves the candle as evidence. Yeah. He and, takes and, a lot of stuff from crime scenes. Mm-hmm. And there's also notably a small child's finger uh, in the candle itself. Mhm. Yeah. Which we, uh, the, the coroner suggests, uh, was cut off from a living body. Right. Uh, because of just the way the wounds were and, like, the blood flow out of it and whatnot. Yeah. Um, he also, when he's typing, when he's bringing in the evidence report, he goes down to wallet and it says $400. He literally draws a line through the 400 and writes 100 So he's not even, like trying to be clever about his stealing at this point. Yeah. I mean, I always try to... It's already been analyzed and and marked down. Well, as it turns out, it was wrong. This is not the final... Maybe he signs off on a final report. That's just putting his signature to 300 missing dollars. Yeah. 
I don't know. Well, you'd have to ask the guys that checked it in. Where did, where, where did they find $400? I looked at it. There's only one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's terrible. Uh, he pockets the money. He pockets cocaine that he spots, uh, that he finds on the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, grabs the box for later because, oh, it looks neat. And Joseph likes puzzles. Yeah. Uh, goes home to kiss the ki- kiss his child goodnight and to overtly uh, ignore his wife. Uh-huh. Like, she is just short. Like, she says, I bathed today. Which, I mean, that's almost like uh, the guy at the uh, at the airport with the landing lights just kind of waving you in. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, cool. I'm gonna go. I, yeah. I, I caught a case. I stuff. caught a case. That's what they say on the wire. I know. It's That's just... cop talk. So he goes <laughs> out. Um, what he really caught was the wanderlust. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of his freshly showered wife, he goes to see a prostitute that he doesn't know. Like he just picks one up. Mm hmm. And in his voiceover, explains that he does this to be able to keep his wanderlust in check. It's easier than leaving his wife. So really, he's sleeping with prostitutes to keep his marriage together instead of sleeping with his wife who just said, let's do this. Yeah. It's like, like, because the whole undertone of the narration is, I am doing this for them. And... It would have been bullshit no matter what, but if the wife looked happy, then maybe you could be like, okay, well, maybe it's working somehow. Mm-hmm. But she's miserable. He's miserable. The kid is just a kid. Yeah. Uh, what? Who's what got three doing? lines of dialogue repeated <laughs> consistently. Daddy, are you home? Daddy, when are you coming home? And I feel like there was a variation in between. Are you going to get the pretzel monies now? And so on and so forth. (laughs) (laughs) And two is your change. Uh, So he hooks up with the prostitute, does close up magic for her, but never the kid. And uh, while she's asleep, he wanders into the bathroom and starts fiddling with the box. And wouldn't you know it, he figures it out. Mm -hmm. He does the little uh, uh, half uh, come up and move forward go back and then he puts the box on the counter and I always love how everybody always instinctively knows how to put the box down correctly so that it can do the rise up and turn into the star shape and then come back Mm -hmm. and then once that happens uh, we go to uh, we get a little J.J. Abrams lens flare Mm -hmm. and we're introduced to the wire twins Yep. These are Cenobites that are twins and have wires all strung throughout, like, their uh, their mouth and chin into their chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they appear female. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, these guys were quite popular for a while in terms of the Hellraiser fandom because chicks, mm-hmm. uh, they got, like, nice little... Uh, uh, ritualistic scarring mm-hmm. happening like designs got into them and uh, the wires and everything and I loved that we're getting back to uh, body modification for body modifications sake like, right. like in 3 and 4 it was definitely uh, I liked how you put it turning them into smurfs yeah where it's like everybody's got, got a theme. you've got CD you've got yeah yeah exactly no it's just we're 
pushing ourselves to the further regions of pain and pleasure. Yep. So that's so this is the thing that makes it makes us more uh, screwed up. And also, we get the newest edition or new, newest iteration of the chattering Cenobite, where this one he, he look he's been getting he, he's like he's just a torso. He's just not a, like, he's not even a torso. He's, he's basically chest. like just above the nipples mm-hmm. up. Yeah, and chattering. Yeah, he's got arms. He's kind of just kind of plodding around and chattering. Which I love that. Like this is the first time we really understand that one of the few personality traits Pinhead has. He likes having a chatterer. Yeah. Well, they don't say much beyond the chattering. They let him monologue. True. And but they create a mood. They do. Ah, I keep him here to create the vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of my entourage. Uh, so. Because, like, uh, the first two, we have, like, the actual, ch- the original chattering uh, Cenobite. But then in the um, fourth one, we get the uh, the chattering dog. Right, yeah. Do they have a chatterer or Not anything three. chattering? Not that I three? remember. I, don't th- I think you're right, which, oh, that's a bummer. Maybe that's what it was missing. That's what it was missing. So... Uh, and it also so the wire twins start rubbing all up against him and licking him with their extraordinarily long CGI tongues yeah. uh, burning tongues burning tongues and um, they uh, also start like kind of while they're rubbing up on his uh, bare chest they start entering the chest like you yeah. see him like just underneath the skin yeah. and everything yeah they're basically getting the second base the long way yes uh ugh. They're getting to, like, Cenobite second base. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was nice to see bringing back the pleasure angle. Like, that's always supposed to be the promise of the box. It's like, oh, you think you've done everything. You haven't done what this box is. And to mm. a degree, it's supposed to be pleasurable right. until they take it further than anybody, any normal person would want. Yeah. Or even a weirdo person. Yeah, but it's, it's a lot of the core BDSM aesthetic mm. is this is all physical physical sensation I want to feel anything mm. like there's an internal numbness that yeah like by combining pleasure and pain you actually have some control over yeah yeah and so uh Joe starts getting wigged out and tries to run away when he opens the wrong door and oh pinhead and pinhead appears to pull his skin uh, Joe's skin off of his face and then he wakes up Yep. And he's back in the bathroom. And in case you're all wondering what the hell is going on, we were too the first time we saw the movie. And uh, don't worry, it will be explained. It's all part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Joe goes back to the police station uh, feeling pretty damn pleased with himself until he gets a phone call from Daphne. Daphne, the uh, the prostitute that he hooked up with, saying, right. you need to come back to the hotel. Something terrible. And some really great horror movie gurgling. Like, mm-hmm. you, you hear, like, kind of just, like, she starts screaming desperately, and then the screams turn into gurgles, which yeah. is a bad sign. And good. Um, he, yeah, he, rec- like, yeah, she's like, this is me from last night. Uh, he races over there. And finds her. We don't initially see her, honestly, until the partner gets there. Mm-hmm. But um, he's horrified by what he finds in there. Calls the partner. Partner shows up. And I think they took the same car. 
Wait, no, that would have made any sense. He would have gone by himself. I think he called him. Yeah, I, 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 for some reason I remember him calling him and saying, you got to get over here. Um, because he didn't want the partner with him. Because he knew Definitely that he had just like the first yeah. time, yeah, yeah. right. You're right, you're right. You're right. Um, and she's basically like her head is kind of hung on the shower head. Yeah, like it's just imagine if she was just spiked. Her the back of her head was spiked onto it. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Like later we see that her her throat's been slit, but it's not readily apparent at this point. Like in the shop, right? Yeah, but uh. uh Joe's partner, Tony, is horrified, and uh, Joe tries to explain that I did cocaine with her, I I paid her to have sex with me all night long, but then I went to sleep in the bathroom, and then, you know... Woke up, she was fine, I left. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I didn't kill this girl, which sounds perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, he dragoons Tony into helping him clean up the scene a bit so that, you know, they can call the police to have it investigated without, you know, Joe's fingerprints everywhere. Mm -hmm. But Joe makes sure to plant Tony's pen, uh, monogrammed pen and his pack of cigarettes in the uh, in the hotel room so that they're found and entered into evidence because, mm. and we cannot say this often enough or with enough emphasis, Joe is the fucking worst. Yeah. He even, he planted the pack of cigarettes under the bed mm. even though, as far as I remember, nobody smoked. There were no cigarettes in the ashtray no. that was set next to a no smoking sign. Yeah. So when he's planning this evidence, he is relying on the fact that cops are not great at their job in his department. Mm-hmm. He's basically figuring this is good enough. Like they're never going to have any sort of critical thinking on the side of that, yeah. including Tony probably saying, uh, no, Joe called me. Here's my caller ID, incoming call Joe, before. Before we got to, before I got to the scene of the crime so like it's Joe just it's Joe yeah probably. it could have really been easily handled by just saying how bad are you at this well Tony is stupid he's not great at puzzles he's not we great. established this in act one I think we established throughout the course of the movie he's not great at anything none of the cops in this movie tech really are are they this could be part of the like the underlying explanation for what's going on in the movie. Should we spoil this now or later? Um, blanket spoiler warning. I mean, we were going to tell them the whole movie anyway. Right, we always uh, do. But just as a reminder, in case this is somebody's first episode for some reason, weird choice. I mean, there are some Schaefer heads out there. Yeah. There's Sheffer. I'm sorry. It's Craig Sheffer, not Schaefer. Right. It's, it's, I always like that because his name is one of those like weird little, you would think it's this, but it's not like a Brendan Fraser, not Brendan Fraser. Right. Adorable. Craig Sheffer. So, uh, as it turns out, everything after Joe wakes up in the bathroom is one extended... Uh, Cenobite hallucination torture sequence. Right. From the moment he opened the box, he has been getting held with. Yeah. He's he's getting hell raised or cenobited. Mm-hmm. Or hooked. Cenobit? Cenobit. Nah. Mm-hmm. Hell raised? We'll go with that for now. Yeah, fair. Um, 
So that could explain why all of the cops are stupid because none of them are actually themselves. This is all like the hallucin the the hell's play version right. of uh, all of these idiot guys. But either way, I don't think real life Tony's figuring this this crime out either. No, and I don't. Based on the fact that they are two, seems like relatively regarded, well regarded cops in the department. True. Um. I just don't think it's a very good department. No. Well, it's Denver. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all high. <sighs> but yeah. Um, so, uh, having planted the evidence, then it's a. Uh, God, there's so many moving parts throughout this sequence. Does he. Joe goes back to uh, see what's going on with the fingerprints on the box. And uh, he figures out a way to narrow down the fingerprint search, and that leads him to the S&M place, yeah, or to, the, just to the scanning, body modification place. They're scanning anyone with a violent criminal history, yeah. and he says, instead of that, look for people who've done body modifications, yeah. such as like hooks and stuff, based off of the S&M gear that he remembered from uh, his... Not his friend from high school, the kid yeah. that he uh, used to bully in high school. Oh, right, further right, evidence, right. he has always been a turd. Yeah, like he, they make sure to tell you early on. Oh, he was an asshole in high school too. Yeah, like uh, Jay Cho would tried out for the basketball team and he was not good, and so they they private piled him. Yeah, they basically so, like bullied the living hell out of him, and like he says it in a way that he. Oh, he's proud. Right, of what he's he not did. trying to admit he's proud, but. He's not shying away from it. No. Which, again, it's one of those few rare times where Craig Sheffer's demeanor really just works for this character. As opposed to, like, when he's supposed to be the older brother and the river uh, river runs through it. And you're just like, <sighs> yeah. Sure. I never saw it. I've, I've seen large chunks of it. He is supposed to be pretentious in that movie, so maybe it works, mm. too. Maybe, like, you ever see Head Above Water? God, years ago. Remember that? The, the, the remake of the Not French film. Well. Yeah, uh, uh, it was, uh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron like Diaz, early Craig Sheffer, Billy Zane, and Harvey Keitel. It's yeah. a little, delightful little movie. I need to go back to it. It's not bad. There was that first, like, three, four years of Cameron Diaz, like, after she broke big, she did so many little indie movies, and they're so much fun, and it was very clearly, like, pressure off, I need to learn how to act, how to act, I think this is where my career might go, Yeah, and so, like, that, um, Last Supper is super fun. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, she was going for it. She was trying to be, like, a full-on actor and everything before, Mm -hmm. you know, her niche got settled into... Well, yeah. no, still, I mean, there's something about Mary, the Charlie's Angels movies. These are... Yeah, um, Sweetest Thing. Sweetest th- sweetest Thing. It's like, I'll show in the, you know, she kn- she understands how to make, like, what sort of persona can be more, f- how it can be made more fun rather than right. just being vapid she, or anything like that. She learned how to act, got her, like, indie cred, and then said, why don't, why don't I just do the fun movies? This They're fun. Yeah. Let's do that. This is correct. And, and she has good comic timing. She does. Okay. Sweetest thing. It's her, I Christina Applegate, and Summer Blair. Yeah. They're it's amazing. It's a freaking dream team. Yeah. They're and great. I, and I'm then you so Jason mad Bateman. that they don't do more with it. Yeah. Jason Bateman, Thomas Jane, and then Parker Posey for Third Act Fire. Mm-hmm. Which is mm, oh, sweetest always. thing. Sweetest thing. Love yeah. that movie. But, uh, so, the fingerprints lead him to a body modification 
parlor. Like yeah, it's a tattoo parlor with piercings, but it, it's like for heavy real, for piercings. real piercings. Oh no, serious piercings. Not for the timid. This yeah. isn't this isn't Claire's boutique. No, it's called Stigmata. Yeah, it's on the fourth floor of the mall. It's not even close to mm-hmm. Hot Topic. That's how serious it is. Wow. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. I'm making fun of Honestly, types of things. you do have to be careful with fresh body modifications and Hot Topic because of the amount of, like, hooks and spikes on a lot of the stuff you can get there. Mm. And a lot of the fishnet stuff just rips. Well... I mean, all fishnets rip eventually. Right, but you don't want to be wandering through like a, a, a hot topic near all the fishnets with a fresh piercing oh, you're not gotcha, aware of. Gotcha, gotcha, it's gotcha. like when you're yeah. when you have a baggy yeah. shirt and it gets caught yeah. on every doorknob. Yeah, you rip yeah. it, you bought it. Yeah. So, uh, Joe interviews Leon uh, and gets all sorts of info about uh, the box. Jade show and the first reference to the engineer. Mm-hmm. And then Joe proceeds to beat the shit out of him when he sees the like a tattoo, what he imagines is a tattoo of the wire twins on his back. Mm-hmm. But it's and like, they start moving, and yeah. that really freaks him out. I mean, he attacks him, and there's just a nail through a hand on the back. Yeah, yeah. the actual stigmata. Right. Uh, the, 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 the name of the store foretold. Yeah, the famous uh, nail through the center of the hand version of the stigmata, not through the wrist. Mm. Um, just point of detail, but... Like, literally, it's a nail. Ah. So... It's Easter weekend, so we have to talk... Uh, or no, that's next week. Next week. I'm not a good Catholic... I'm not really a Catholic. There are no good Catholics. They're just Catholics. So there's not a judgment call. Exactly. Just, yeah. It's just. It's not an element of morality. No, it's just Catholics are Catholics. Yeah. I was raised Catholic. I am no longer a Catholic. But you know, that's well, a that's a bad Catholic. No, uh, there's there's Roman Catholic, Irish Catholic, and raised Catholic. Yeah, it's, it's a sect. I like it's, that. You know, you remember all this stuff, but you're not, <sighs> not you're not even practicing. No. Kind of like the Paul Rudd thing. Do you practice yeah. Judaism? No. Practice it? No. I perfected it. <laughs> Love that, man. So, uh, this is the first reference we get of the engineer and the uh, the ominous words, you hunt for the engineer, the engineer hunts for you. Mm-hmm. In my uh, country. In my country. Uh, this is, uh, it is fun to note that, like, in the novella, The Hellbound Heart, there was reference to a car- uh, a member of the uh, Cenobitic Order uh, known as the engineer. I don't mm-hmm. think, I, I forget if they actually, the engineer actually appears, like, in the first sequence with Frank when he opens up the box but uh, I forget uh, but they uh, like they very specifically were drawing that name from this like in, in the first movie they they, they uh, for some reason named the big monster thing the engineer like right, it's credited yeah. as the en- or the engineer operators and where this one goes um, again if I yeah. can jump ahead sure. when it gets to the end um, and he realizes it has been a whole hell experience it's been a hell of his own making and a lot of this has thrown his sins back in his face and that he himself is the engineer of his own suffering yeah and that actually could tie back to the other references Mm. in the films and the novella yeah of no no, yeah the engineer is 
You. This is you. You, you did this. You, te- you tell us where you need to go, mm-hmm. and we'll take you yeah. there. Do you know, do you know why that, the box attacked you? Because you opened it. Mm-hmm. Do you know why you sought out the box? Because you like this shit. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is all on you. It always is. See, I like that we're bringing that back. Right. It's like, not the kill fests. The, the three and four just started, went into arbitrary. Yeah. yeah. It, it made it, like, just cheaper horror movies. Right. Which... It's a bummer. Um, but so, from Leon in the body modification place, uh, Joe seeks out his informant, Bernie, slash coke dealer. Yeah. I think that's where, like, I think that's where he's getting his coke normally when he's not finding it at crime scenes, which mm-hmm. just seems unreliable in terms of having a steady, uh, consistent... You would think, but uh, I mean, there's a book and a documentary about Baltimore out right now that says that it's it can, it can be pretty lucrative. Fair, yeah, that's fair. We live in a hellhole, but it's our hellhole. It Nobody is. else is allowed to call it a hellhole, but us. No, it's yeah, it's a very Bundy family logic. Mm-hmm. We can fight, yes, but from outside, no, oh, no, 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 no. So. Uh, because Joe's the worst, he beats the shit out of terror. Uh, no. He beats uh, the shit out of anyone he can. I forget what is it for. Bernie. He Bernie. beats the shit yeah. out of Bernie until Bernie tells him about the engineer. And Bernie has a fairly long monologue about a friend who, you know, he has a friend who uh, was hooking up with a prostitute that was in the engineer's stable. And he tried to, like, run away and marry her. And then she disappeared, and it turned out the engineer got her mm-hmm. and was sending her him bits of her. And, like, sends the wedding ring and sends... Mm-hmm. And he just had like assumed that she had been long dead like after a certain point because mm-hmm. it had been so long. Yeah. And then, not long dead, um, he comes home and sees her laying in bed, pulls the cover back, and it's just the head. Just the and head. A and a note with... Very nice handwriting saying, I, I, I took the parts I wanted and gave you the rest. Yeah. Ew. And then Bernie also mutters, you hunt for the engineer, the engineer hunts for you. Mm-hmm. It is not as bad as, like, uh, the bye-bye man. Excuse me, I said it and I thought it. Yeah. Oh, the poo-poo wee-wee man? The poo-poo wee-wee man. <laughs> I still haven't watched it because I don't think I can get that out of my head while I'm watching it. When you watch it, keep in mind that the writing team and director are the exact same people behind The Last Supper. Really? Stacy Penner. And no Jonathan sh- Penner. Like, they're... Uh, Stacy Penner, recently deceased, uh, oh. she co-wrote and directed uh, The Last Supper with Jonathan Penner, and Jonathan Penner is one of the group of got people in The Last Supper. He's the artist guy that's hooking up with Annabeth Gish. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah they, they were actually together. They also did a really interesting non-textual uh, adaptation of Hamlet called Let the Devil Wear Black that I thought was really great. Huh. And so then weird. they made the Bye Bye Man, which is... This was, like, the best... Um, wait, nope. Uh, that'll lead down a different road that we don't want to go down. Never mind. So, uh, after beating up Bernie... Um, we have drinks with Tony in which Tony says, you know, we should probably just talk to the captain and explain everything. Mm-hmm. So that right now, you're tied to all of these. Yeah. You 
Or just or the like, two. We, we only, it's just he, two now. Because he didn't... Yeah. It's like... No, we're just about to get yeah. through. But it's like, this is already bad. You have a connection to these two deaths. Mm-hmm. You're working. Um... It doesn't look good, and it will continue to look bad more so the more you try and hide things. If we say, I'd like to recuse myself from this case and hand over all information I have, somebody I think is targeting me, and I could use some backup. I could actually use some surveillance. I could use... I know I'm not doing this. Please put me in the spotlight so that we can figure this out. Yeah. That makes sense. Joe's counter offer. I have planted incriminating uh, evidence incriminating you at the scene of the crime. And it has already been <laughs> processed. I verified it was in the evidence log. Yes. So, how about we just work on catching the guy my way, and then you just get a verbal reprimand? Mm-hmm. All you do is look like a schmuck while helping me clear my name. What a dick. He's such a dick. Just terrible. Uh, And, you know, he didn't know what was going on yet. This was his first loop through hell. Yeah. But I will say that if you're in some place that is punishing you for your sins, Mm. cut them out. Mm. Maybe, like, get down to a pack a day at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, start to tone down the... Like level of dipshittery. It would be fun to see him try to argue his way out of everything at the end of the movie, having to sinned even more. Right. Presented with the possibility. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was admissible. Oh, man. You were listening to that? Mm-hmm. Shit. Yeah. Shit. I, in the legal system, things like perjury exist because you can't keep committing crimes through the trial um, including lying yes and, yeah like or as a I was more trying ex- to figure out where you were going with no, that as a much more extreme example uh, the director's cut of Natural Born Killers mm-hmm. where Mickey Knox murders one of the witnesses on stand so <laughs> to eliminate her testimony and I mean it's that's all, a bad call it's all problem A right That, but now we do have problem B it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly significant one. It's like the cat in the hat. It's like we're trying to get rid of the pink, but it just puts the pink somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so, oddly enough, Tony does not finish his drink and storms off. And uh, a, a small child <laughs> arrives with... What? <laughs> no, just the fact that like, the, 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 the speed at which these the scene shifts. Right? Uh, and then a small child arrives with a VHS cassette. Because this was made in the year 2000. In the year 2000. I was going to be worried if you didn't. Yeah. Um, and so Joe immediately puts it into the bar, the VCR attached to the TV, attached to the wall of the bar, because there's it's a VCR. I mean, I appreciate having that it would be a VCR, yeah. but the fact that the bar has a VCR is, just seems a little weird. It's Colorado. I'm sure they probably have reception issues at times. Okay. They might okay. have cable lines down. All right. All right. So we cut to the, the video shows Bernie in his ice cream truck being whipped 
repeatedly by a cat of nine tails mm-hmm. with hooks that that Joe saw at the body modification place. And what's yeah. great is that a lot of this, like you see the setup, but then all the whipping happens off camera. Mm-hmm. So it can really, it's just, it's one of those, the thing you don't see, you, you imagine is worse. Right. Where you're really just seeing the hooks in your brain mm-hmm. rip into it because you're seeing all the blood being sp- sp- uh, right. sprayed everywhere. And it's later terrible. you see him uh, with the shirt ripped off and he's definitely got a waffle cone to back. Oh god, it's terrible. It's, it's nasty. Terrible. But we don't but we also save money because we don't have to create the effect of the thing being ripped off in real time. Yeah. Um, we did miss the opportunity of the Hellraiser theme being played on the ice cream bells. Uh, oh, yeah, that was the thing I wanted to note. There is... Christopher Young uh, did not do the music for this. Oh. And uh, there, if you notice, there are none of the Hellraiser themes play mm-hmm. in this entire movie, including that little uh, kind of music box tune that plays around whenever the box opens is not even in this as well. Weird. Yeah, no, I noticed it this time because they had like a vague tinkling thing, but not the actual... Lament configuration music, gotcha. which the the music is is good in this movie, yeah. but I thought it was a little the poor for not having any of the themes. Yeah, there still is a centerite theme. There is still an overarching. Yeah, yeah. I know, like with Star Wars, like a lot of the characters have specific assignments to themes, so you're not going to hear Leia's theme in something set. Pre-Star Wars. Oh, yeah, no, John, like, John like Williams goes, like, full Prokofiev by yeah. the second movie. It's just, mm-hmm. it's almost, like, this was, like, one of the goofy things in the Revenge of the Sith movie is that because John Williams has created so many separate themes for all the individual characters, when you have Yoda fighting Palpatine, uh, intercutting with Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting, mm-hmm. it's just, like, hung, it's the, the, uh, the Peter of the Wolfism are just at war with each other and it's yeah. just getting stupid. Yeah, it's... It's chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, but like a lot of people think that Darth Vader's theme is in the first one. Uh, the Imperial mm. March does not appear until yeah. Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. it thematically didn't fit until then. And John Williams hadn't written it. Well, yeah. But I mean, it was designed <laughs> in as a part of character exploration, so... Anyway. There's a... As you, were, as you were already saying, there's so much assignment to these themes. Yeah. It's just, it turned out to be a good one. Hi, Kitty. Don't unplug it again. Yeah. Yeah. Give him a little scooch. Uh, so, Joe, me, so we put an APB out for the, the ice cream truck because we don't know where it is. Um, it, they good humor. Not today. Yeah. No, not today. We eventually find it. And, uh, the guy, oh, and uh, in the video, Joe sees the uh, the face of the guy that's cut that's uh, killing everybody and uh, cutting off the fingers, and he has a very like he looks like one of the uh, the wire twin Cenobites uh, in terms of uh, just, just this kind of featureless face, like no pulled nose. skin back, like yeah, it's tight yeah. skin over basically you've got a mouth, yeah, and uh, no eyes mm. and everything, just mouth and teeth, no lips. Yeah. It's pretty great. Imagine James Carvel, but only a mouth. Yeah. So, uh, we see the guy that's killing everybody, and um, he, uh, he he shows that uh, he's got, like, the little child's finger, and then burns the fingerprint off with his tongue. Yep. Which is how we know about the Bernie tongue thing. 
And uh, so when they eventually find the ice cream truck, uh, oh wait, no, first, uh, no, 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 we find the ice cream, or no, yeah, no, first they go, they bring the, he brings the video to the uh, the police station, and the video is blank. Yep. And oddly enough, everybody thinks he's insane. Yeah. And the thing is, the video is blank. It's static. And they say, yeah, we can tell that a tape has been erased, just not what was on it, which is true. Yeah. It's not a data disk. You can't, like, you know, reformat off of that that way or whatever recovery solutions they have. Mm -hmm. But as far as I know, you would actually have to play static over the static to get static on the tape. No idea. As far as I know, if you try and digitally erase it, yeah, it doesn't give so. you the same level of static. It, Maybe. I don't know. Or I don't know. It's just it's But either way, it doesn't matter because the video shouldn't have erased itself at all. And as like we said, we're in a brain. Yeah, he's insane. Uh, so it's at this point that the captain says, you have to meet with the shrink. And the shrink turns out to be Dr. Paul Gregory, played by James Remar, mm-hmm. who is an Episcopalian priest slash psychiatrist. Yep. James Remar is looking good in this movie. Yeah, he's got long hair, a uh, nice bit beard. of a beard. Um, buttons his shirt to the top without doing the collar. Mm-mm. Like the, the priestly collar or yeah. a tie, so it just looks uncomfortable. Yeah, never trust anybody that buttons their shirt all the way up but doesn't wear a tie. Yeah. It's just, there. there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Same type of, like, people that are always wearing gloves. Yeah. Or pinky rings. Yeah. I don't trust people with pinky rings. I don't know that I ever noticed. Mm, it's just one of those, well, you got a little pinky ring there. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Have a real ring. Yeah. Put diamonds on that. Sure. You can have a horseshoe on a, on, on something that's not your pinky. I didn't even realize they got that elaborate. Right? I always just figured it was a little hoopy. Anyway. Anyway. So uh, I tend to look people in the eyes, not at their pinkies. Well, I want, I'm trying to, you know, size them up for what I want to steal. Uh, well, don't steal pinky rings. You hate those things. Well, no, but, you know, they usually have diamonds and shit. Uh, and I don't feel bad about the people because, you know, they have a pinky ring. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably stuck in hell themselves. I'm saying. A hell of their own making. <laughs> so, uh, the very avuncular Dr. Paul Gregory, uh... Tries to talk to him a little bit, but Joe really isn't feeling any of this, and he just basically... The, like, the scene is almost there just to introduce James Remar and then be over. Oh, yeah. It's literally, like, start of the scene. Hey, I'm having problems. Oh, you have a kid. Oh, I have a kid. Anyway, can we reschedule this for tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, and then he, he's going through the the uh, the computer system uh, files on the case so far and has that really out of place... I worship children and innocence, and I hate the idea of children being hurt. Mm-hmm. And I pointed out after the scene that it felt like a post-production. We should put a monologue or something here. Like, something it that just humanizes him. Out. Like, we gotta humanize him a little. Yeah, it's something. also like a minute and a half of him watching a computer screen and going through files. So, like... Yeah. I really thought you were gonna have something like that. No, I was just like... <laughs> That was my frustration at Ravistine. So it's at this point that we find the ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to be confused with the ice cream truck killer, which, God, so many of these, so many things in this movie reminded me of Dexter. Besides Jim Jamar, but yeah. like ice cream truck, a lot, again, a lot of the fashion, a lot of the bad cops. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Fair. Uh, so. 
Bernie is a mess. Uh, he has no skin on his back and almost no meat. You know, no. it's just it's just a lot of bones and ribs showing, and uh, they can't find the finger, the telltale sign of this the serial killer. And Joe points out it's in the cash register, which wasn't open right at all. And so he opens it up, and then it's like, Joe. <laughs> About this ser- quote unquote serial killer mm-hmm. that is not you. Right. Is it you? Because you knew that it was in that cash register to which Joe didn't say but would have been justified in saying, Remember when I described the entire video to you? Oh, no, he does say that. He says it was in the video, yeah. but he doesn't call out, Hey, morons, I told you this hours ago. That. It's not going to help him. He also doesn't, and this is more important, point out, so we're at a murder scene, and you didn't take a look to see if anything was stolen, like, from the cash register? Sorry, sir. We were a little wrapped up with the horrifically mutilated body. But you said you searched everywhere for the finger. Okay, that's good. You literally didn't look the first place a thief would. Yeah. Well, what with the state of the body, sir, we weren't quite sure that mur- that money was the motive. This is... This, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, also, I can point out that this is in the head of not a very good cop. Oh, no, but he's a very smart cop. He's just a bad person. I'm not sure he's a good cop. Well, he was figuring thief. That's, since everything is a dream, it does kind of call into question, is he actually solving anything in this He's movie? not. He's he's finding the breadcrumbs that are being laid out in front of him. That's true. He's never completely off the path, but he's definitely going the wrong direction enough times that mm-hmm. some of the breadcrumbs are, here's an address, just... Here's an address. We're going to stop talking in riddles because we've been doing that. Here. Here are two fingers, an address... And your parents are involved, and like, it's oh, God, honestly I about the parents. The, uh, There's so the much hell, in this movie. <laughs> hell really starts to spoon feed Joe because <laughs> he ain't a good cop. He so, just not. He's not getting there. So, uh, at this point, how does he find out about the cowboy place? Is um, that from Bernie? Bernie's cell phone. There's a voicemail on Bernie's cell phone. From Terry. From Terry, um, (laughs) who was, who he was trying to, yeah, the guy whose wife, 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 um, was done-headed. And, (laughs) yeah, so, like, he and Tony listen to the voicemail and agree, let's just go there and not report any of this still. We we have to find uh, Mr. Parmaji at the crossing well, the crossing, crossing, according the crossing, to the crossing. sign. Yeah, it's basically uh, just like this extended Twin Peaks sequence, where it's like we're going to One Eyed Jacks, mm-hmm. except no prostitutes there. It's uh, just a dozen round poker tables. Yep. All, um, full, all full of five, at least five guys. Yeah. All complete cowboys. All like head to toe. Yeah. Cowboy not like shit. not like Vegas high rollers. No, We're no, no, talking no, no, like no. broke back or uh, cowboys and aliens. Just cowboys. Just actual, yeah, like, like full cowboys. on 
Hollywood Cowboys. Yes. Just smoking, drinking, and playing cards. This place smells wonderful. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't even look like there's a bar. They just have poker tables and chips, and the tables are pushed in tight against each other yeah. like uh, like a church spaghetti bre- uh, dinner. Yes. Like, just get as many in here as you can. Joe remarks that there's not even a place to cash in, to, like, uh, buy chips. Yeah. Like, what in the fuck is this place? But apparently, Mr. Paramaji finds them, or finds Joe, and advises him that he is playing the engineer's game. Mm -hmm. And the engineer wants him to continue playing the game. And he is playing it well. Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah, I don't even know if he says he's playing it well. No, he doesn't say he playing says, it well. He says, like, he just wants you to keep playing, and yeah. Joe's like, I don't But I don't want to play. That mm-hmm. is playing. Well, then I do want to play. Now you're getting it. Mm-hmm. I don't... Why? I just want to find the kid. Then maybe that's the game. Fuck you! Yeah. I want to... I want ice cream. Oh, my ice cream guy's dead. I want cocaine. Oh, my cocaine guy's dead. Shouldn't have put all your ice cream and cocaine in one basket. Nope. Uh, To his credit, Craig Sheffer looks like he has the best headache, or the worst headache, throughout Mm -hmm. this entire film. And I, I appreciate that little bit of his performance but he he see he appears to see the guy from the video that only he was able to look at uh in the background and uh once like they lock eyes quote unquote because the the engineer guy doesn't have eyes uh the engineer guy appears to roller skate out of the place yeah it's a weird drifty movement um so like it's like the penguin (coughs) in uh blues Blues brothers Brothers. yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's just kind of floating back yeah or uh the lady martian and mars attacks Okay. Yeah, like there's leg movement, yeah. but the drifting is way oh, out of yeah, pace yeah, yeah, with yeah. it. It's so like, yeah. Yeah. So he goes outside and uh, sees the wire twins and the torso, the, the chattering torso again, mm-hmm. but then is immediately beaten up by two twin Asian cowgirl people. Yeah. Like, they fuck him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like several spinning heel kicks into his face, Mm -hmm. which was very satisfying considering how terrible a person Joe is. Yeah. Like, we know that he's not doing well in this movie, but just seeing him get bumped down a couple pegs. Yeah. Inarguably. It was great. So rather than go to a hospital, he goes back to Dr. Paul Gregory, who is not that kind of a doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Gregory, uh, he, confess- he he starts coming clean about a lot of things that has been going on. Not about everything, but just like, I think I'm going crazy. And it's all because of the engineer. And then Dr. Paul Gregory's like, the engineer. Well, that's a name I haven't heard in quite a long time. A long, long Exactly. But it turns out Dr. Paul Gregory is a bit obsessed with the engineer as well. Because know him, he's me. Spoiler. We'll get get there. We'll get there. Um, I just wanted to get all the Obi-Wan shit out. That's fair. That's fair. Um, 
like he even has a, he has a file on the engineer and has pictures of the box and is nearly beside himself when Joe produces the box on top of the picture. And I like that the uh, like in story they address the fact that we're breaking the pattern from the previous films where it's like mm. uh, Dr. Gregory's like, no, you open the box, the Cenobites come and then they take you with them to hell. If you're something weird is going on, mm. if like one, you're not in hell, and two, you're still seeing them wandering yeah, around. They're still here. Like if yeah. you open a box, you're you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't lying. Yeah. No. Uh so then Joe goes home and uh, you know, checks on the kid and, you know, tries to ignore the wife again, but uh, Melanie is her name. I finally mm-hmm. noticed this time around. Melanie mentioned literally once. Yep. Is I uh, no. I caught it in subtitles. He never refers to her by. Oh. Name. Okay. Yeah. No. It's subtitles. Melanie says, um, and that's how I got the kid's name as well. Chloe. Mm. <laughs> He's the worst human being. Um, so uh, she tries to dress his wounds because he caught quite a lot of kicks to the face when uh and also try to have a nap because he's been up for at least 36 hours he doesn't even want the nap but he's kind of like being taken care of so he just unwinds and yeah and then we get a phone call and melanie answers the phone and joe it's your mother they've had a visitor some sort of engineer what Exactly, and this they drive to the he drives to the nursing home where they live. This is the first hint of where they are because it's the Colorado Convalescence Hospital or something like that. Right. Uh, Joe goes in immediately, gets shit from the the night duty nurse, uh, who said, "I didn't even know the Thorns had a son." Mm-hmm. Because he sucks. Yeah. Understated part of. Because you never fucking visit, which does get brought up, but it's like... We're for like, starters. Yeah. We're going to give you... Just, we're yeah. just going to give you sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, security guard seems to give no shits. He's reading his magazine. Yeah. I mean, hey, Bassmasters. This is a really good issue of Bassmasters. Hmm. I'm waiting for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, he goes to his parents room where his dad's in hospice care mm-hmm. and yeah, he ain't getting up out of that out of that bed but his mom is played by uh the actress who played uh jed bartlett's secretary for the first couple seasons of the west wing that's mrs landingham mm-hmm. i forget what the actor's name is but it was just like mrs landingham's in a hellraiser movie this is gonna be bad <laughs> But honestly, it was weird seeing a hell, like a nursing home in a Hellraiser movie because it's just like one more level of how life is terrible. Yeah, because they were not happy. Like they just immediately was like, "You never come around. We don't like it here." Mm-hmm. It's like, oh and god. Echoing the daughter, you never visit. You're where are you? Where have you been? You've been absent. You're mm-hmm. not a part of our lives. Yeah, because Joe's bad. Yeah. I say this is a person that lives like 300 miles away from my family. No, Mark is here. No, I'm a bad And person. you visit. I do visit. I'm visiting. He does week. not. No, he does not. So, um, uh, he hears noises in the other room 
goes out. Oh, we we also we we glossed over when he's going in the hallway down to their their play to their place. Uh, he sees a nurse coming down the hallway, but his he's getting kind of whacked out, and his vision starts having him see double, mm-hmm. as if there were twin nurses. And then behind him, we have a guy that's in a wheelchair, and his arms are uh, in a straitjacket, and he has like this horrible. He's got like a couple of chains on him, and his mouth is pulled back in this horrible rictus grin. And when he passes by Joe, a child's voice starts laughing. I was like, "Oh fuck you guys!" Yeah, that was like just That's none of that is good. Stuff. That's yeah. not, none of that is good. I was. I, I want to say it was around then that you decided to look up when Silent Hill first came out. Close, but yeah, there are definitely Silent Hill vibes to yeah. this movie. Uh, but they come later when everything starts really going. Ah, that's right. Yeah, when there's more snow instead of ash mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, but yeah, like, and to cover that now, Silent Hill came out in 99. The movie went into production in 99. So there's a chance that they never saw the game and yeah. it was just, you know, in their brain at the right time. It just There's a chance that they played the game and said, some of this is some kind of cool stuff. We can work yeah. with that. And not like cribbing from yeah, it. Yeah, nothing's like, cribbed, but just a vibe, oh, interesting. Tone, yeah. like some uh, design motifs. Like, yeah. let's pull from that. Like, definitely the way the Wire Twins and the Engineer, their lack of faces mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of, like, some of the monsters that definitely in the later Silent Hills, but not necessarily in the first one. Fair. Gotcha. So, there's that. But, yeah, it was an interesting question because there's a sequence later where you have a nice home that immediately starts becoming decayed and disgusting and gross kind of like the transition between normal silent hill and right. e- evil silent hill yeah so it just kind of i was kind of curious about that there were echoes of each other and i mean film is a component of all the influences of the creators i mean oh, just like fun. anything in creative so yeah yeah so joe goes uh joe gets to the parents room they lay the guilt trip on him, which is totally deserved. Uh, he hears a noise in the other room, goes to see what it is, and finds that it's his childhood bedroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, the door locks, and then he hears the sound of his parents being brutally murdered as blood comes gushing from underneath the door. And again, the less is more thing kind of works. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to see let Mrs. Landingham get eviscerated. No. But I like the idea of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but then uh, he wakes up and he's back at home with his wife not having left. Right. And now, audience, if you haven't been wondering, or if you haven't suspected that something weird is going on, at this point you're like, wait, so, somebody's fucking with this dude. Yeah, he's having, he's at least having nightmares, like, and his nightmares are creeping in, but they're just giving him a couple of uh, little false restarts. We don't have to give him the full hell all at once. We can we can wait to tease him out of this we loop that he's stuck a, in. We can add micro loops within your loop. We have an eternity to yeah. know your flesh. It's like if in Groundhog's Day, um, in the middle of it, he had lunch and immediately had lunch again, and like the skips weren't just the whole day. Yeah. But you could have yeah little pocket skips. Sure. And so she gets the call. The wife gets the call again. He goes again and like completely skips the duty nurse and just goes in with the gun. And the nurse does call the security guard to actually stop him, which he does, which is nice. And we mm-hmm. finally find out we're in Denver, Colorado, because mm-hmm. he is a Denver police officer, a police detective. Yeah. Uh, he gets... Uh, 
Oh, they go to the room. Oh, well, they... The the security guard pulls the gun and says, drop your weapon. He does. Yeah. He sets the weapon down and pulls out his badge and says, it's okay, Denver, you know, police department. This is my parents' room. Doesn't get his license out. No. Doesn't say, like, oh, here's also ID of why I'm actually here. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I don't know. It was a weird detail. The, the but badge is the only uh, access. Well, he's much more of a cop than he is a family member. This is true. Oof. Yeah, he's a bad person. So they go to the room, and uh, oh, the nurse says, "Like we've been trying to call you all day because they've they, your parents have disappeared since early afternoon." They touch uh, the dad's empty bed and blood pools up because underneath the sheet is all just blood and who knows what's happened mm, and gore and bits and gicks they did seem to be a little bit of goo yeah. or like like three-dimensional goo yeah um but then there's another there's a little gift wrapped box with two more fingers and a note and here's your note just with the address saying yeah. go to this place parentheses Joe, you moron you love puzzles you love puzzles we are finding out that you're not great at them. So we're going to, like, we're just going to ramp up the... So harsh. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, they really start spelling shit out for him. Yeah, that's fair. It's, yeah. And that's when you've rented a group, like, when a group rents some people to host a murder mystery for them, mm -hmm. and it's hour three, and, like... We are not paid for this. Yeah. Why don't you check the candelabra? Look at the base and read it to them. <laughs> yeah. You have to say it with like a southern accent because it's like a, a southern murder mystery. At three hours in, I doubt I would. That's fair. So Tony arrives to remind us that he's still in the film. Mm-hmm. And they have they get into a fight. Tony's like, the captain wants to see you because not for nothing, the only connective tissue to all of the to all of these murders is you. Right. You murderer. Um then it's just a lot of back and forth of do you think I could do this? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. You're a monster. Mm -hmm. uh, I, Tony also has Pulled a Dana Scully and conveniently missing a lot of key moments and details. Like, a lot of it, he's not invited along for the ride. But he did go out to the crossing crossing yeah. and sat in the car until Joe ran out the back after uh, drifting the yeah, engineer. engineer. Um, and... I don't even know how Tony realized he was supposed to go running in the woods, but Tony runs up in the woods and finds him beat to shit, but nobody else there. Yeah. So all Tony knows is Joe went into the bar and is suddenly in the woods beat up. Yeah. And his version of the story. It's, but it could be UFOs. Could be UFOs. UFOs would actually make more sense than any of the stuff happening in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably. So, uh, Joe says no. He goes to the address. The address is just an empty room with a uh, telescope aimed at a cr at the building across the street. And wouldn't you know it, Tony is bound and gagged, and the engineer proceeds to just start stabbing him in the back. Yep. Or punching him. No, it was stabbing. Stabbing. Yeah, he was, he was stabbing. Stabbed. Then he leaves an unburned fingerprint, and uh, Joe gets a phone call from the landline in the apartment saying, go home. And he goes back to his home to discover 
his wife and child on the Pillar of Souls. Or, or the, like, the little pillar. It's not the Pillar of Souls because it didn't have all the stuff in it, but it's the uh, the rotating pillar from the first two movies. Right. Like, we hadn't seen that in a while. And they're stuck on that pole, and it's snowing in the living room, mm-hmm. and they have frozen to death. Yeah. Well, they're, they're not frozen to death yet. They're asking, where have you been? Why, Daddy, why? Yeah. Why didn't you visit anymore? Repeating a lot of their stock lines. But then he touches them, and then they shatter into exactly. little pieces. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Paul Gregory shows up, and I love that, like, Joe doesn't even respond to the fact that, like, what are you even doing here? Right. Uh, And he explains, you know, oh, shit, this happened, and uh, how you know that... Dr. Gregory's not on the up and up is that his little cross pin is upside is inverted now mm-hmm. and uh, he reveals that the uh, the fingerprint or the, the, the finger that still had the fingerprint is Joe's fingerprint but from when he was a small boy which mm-hmm. well that don't make no sense does say what and uh, Joe starts laughing maniacally and says, you've been the engineer the whole time. And James Rumar, with perfect aplomb, says, the engineer. Well, that's as good a name as any. And then, in a fairly elaborate morph, he turns into Pinhead. Like, it's not just like a straight, like, uh, black and white video. Black and white video. It's like, they have like a couple of in-between CG stages, which kind of sells it a little bit better. Uh, But I love the idea of Pinhead saying, uh, like, kind of remarking on the fact that he's never given his proper name to anyone and just like well that's as good a name as any for me right because usually people call me pinhead mm-hmm. uh, and to be honest it kind of hurts it does it it's it's it's, it's yeah. not nice um and so he starts kind of admonishing Joe and advising him to go to his ancestral home to uh, figure out what's going on and he does because it's in the other room which you know Joe yeah, I know you're frazzled, but you got to start putting this like. Yeah, wormholes aren't a common feature in most apartments in our houses. Yeah, yeah. No, and then we get like this Silent Hill moment where everything is kind of nice for a minute, and then everything mutates and decays into horrible versions of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get a. This is like we see like Joe as a kid, or Joe is watching Joe as a kid go downstairs to the kitchen and eat brownies with his younger with his uh, mother as a young woman. But then when like all the decaying and stuff happens, it's Mrs. Landingham is back and her eyes are gouged out and she starts trying to stab Joe and it's like this is the weirdest episode of The West Wing I've ever seen. Um, and also Joe's father comes around and starts trying to slash him, and it's basically like every person who's been a character in the movie comes by to try to murder him. Right. Except for the, the wife and the kid. Yeah. Because they're in little, little pieces. Uh, but the... That's uh, all of his betrayals come at a roost, including, like, Tony shows up, and that's how we know he was being stabbed yeah. in the back, was because he got stabbed in the back, yeah, he's and getting... he's pulling the knives out of his back <laughs> and throwing them fairly ineffectively at Joe, except for the last one gets him in the leg. Yeah. Uh, the prostitute uh, jumps out from the bathroom shower mm-hmm. and attacks him. Uh, Bernie try, like tries to nail him with the hooks and everything, and then he gets sucked through the windshield of the. Uh, in a cool, in a cool shot. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, that we haven't commented on this. This movie looks good. It looks really good. I like I said. I think it's. 
I definitely think it looks better than two. I think it looks better than three. Um, hmm. There's there's some great looking stuff in both of them. I think three but has I think a good look to it. I just think consistently yeah. this one. Oh, this definitely looks better. Yeah. But I, I don't really just give short shrift to the look of three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that consistently this one looks a little more, I don't know. Um, Professional? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's interesting because it's like we have uh, good lighting throughout all the whole movie, like kind of nice, uh, good colors. Uh, they do dip into filters, especially towards the end, but it's tasteful. Like, we're in yeah. a different dimension, so mm-hmm. we're trying to signify that this isn't the real world anymore. Yeah. And it's not overdone. It's not mm-hmm. like a whole movie is put through some sort of washed out yeah. color effect or something. And the sets are consistently well dressed out and thought out the mm-hmm. framing is consistently good um, the lens choices we even spe- we noticed a couple spots like yeah you know affect the depth of field well and those were some issues that two and three had uh, agreed yeah now this looked good uh, so after Joe goes through the whole gauntlet he finds himself in a room with uh, th- the little version of himself tied to a chair and Pinhead explaining that these are all of the, that uh, he is killing his inner child that all of the innocence he once had is being destroyed by his appetites and the way he treats people and the way he treats himself and everything yeah, that your flesh is devouring your spirit yes and uh, we see like the faceless engineer they pull he pulls his face apart and reveals that it was joe all along mm. because he's been doing this yeah and air quote actual joe has like hooks in his face and he's like he's be he's well yeah. strung up so yeah then like again a lot of good like let's bring back the things that we liked about hellraiser from mm-hmm. the beginning like the the hooks the eviscerations the all all the terror the tor- torturing characters not just killing them right the minute you see them and so he uh is pretty good shot of like it's joe hooked up hooked joe from behind the hooks or no first we see him from the front and the you see the chain start pulling taut and then it cuts a, a shot of him from behind the skin gets ripped off from behind and then he drops down out of frame and all that's left is the evil engineer version of joe holding up the last finger that he's just cut off of his oh no self. that was before I thought he was still holding the finger in that one. Well, huh. I mean, maybe he is, but it's just the engineer version. It's just from the, the shoulders up. Okay. Because it's yeah, like yeah. he it's immediately replaced. This is you. And he's staring right at the camera, judging you. And then Joe wakes up yep. at the bathroom. And, and it was all a dream. It was all a dream. And, like, I like that you do get, like, it's not overt, but it's kind of like the like the little Scrooge, the morning after moment. Is like mm-hmm. I didn't miss it. There's still time. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be okay. I can fix things. I'm just gonna go ahead and go to work. And he does. He, he go, literally he, does he, the he, exact same thing. He literally just goes right back to work, and he's you chatting. Nothing. He's chatting you up lose. everybody. Good day, sir. I know. He's chatting all the detectives up like he normally would, and then the phone rings, and it's the same phone call he got before where the prostitute is saying, I'm about to get murdered. And Joe, oh, no, oh, no, yada, 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 gurgle, gurgle. Gurgle, gurgle. And then Joe does the only sensible thing. He takes his gun out and sticks it in his mouth and pulls the trigger. 
The end? Wakes nope, up in the bathroom again. It's just a dream. <laughs> it's still a dream. Yeah, wakes up in the bathroom again, opens the door, and it's his childhood home with all the snow and everything. Delaware ending. Delaware oh. ending. We get a li- we get another narr- a closing narration that mirrors the original narration, but with him acknowledging, and now I am fucked forever. Yep. And then the last shot of is just him looking into the camera, screaming now as loud as he can. Yeah. It is great. Like, I love this thing. I love the whole Jacob laddering mm-hmm. of the movie and just, like, just... Hell doesn't always... Like, Pinhead is always talking about how I'm going... We're going to torture you forever. So mm-hmm. it can't always just be the knives and, like, the uh, the penis yeah. flattening and you're everything. Gonna, you're going to get used to stuff. You're going to get tired. Look, we live in 2023. There is evidence that we just get used to things being terrible. Yes. Ugh. So Why? you have to mix it up. So you mix it up. And this has been head mixing it up. Yeah. And just I, when you think that all of our suffering is ended, they make an entourage movie. You know. The world is a cruel place. Dear God. But this is definitely my favorite Hellraiser until the most recent one. I, I, or I think this is the best Hellraiser until the most recent mm-hmm. one. Uh, very mature themes. Uh, strong, like, okay, it gets a little slow, but it has a coherent story throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Strong characters on all, uh, just in every scene. Yeah. Good, like, and good pace to uh, having gore and violence in the movie it's mm-hmm. peppered throughout it's not like the whole movie yeah it's there's not so. giant opening giant closing and treading water exactly and as you all now know the twist like knowing the ending doesn't ruin the experience of what's going on what's going on because if you know what's going on you can just watch each scene as a breakdown of hell's checking you and you are still doing your dumb shit. Yeah. Like, we are giving you every opportunity. We are handing you a chance to turn to your family, a chance to spend time with your daughter, a chance to go to the cops. Like, all that is being done to him is, you're going to be a dick now? You are. All right, cool. Yep. You are consistent, sir. At the same time, I like the uh, the Krampus type of vibe that, like, right. oh, yes. no, we're going to show you every way that you're bad, but understand, we're not here to save you. We're right. here to punish you. Yeah. We just want to make sure you get it. Yeah. Like, you're, the but real suffering is as soon as you can stop blaming anyone else for what you're in, this is all on you and that is going to be the eternal suffering is no matter what else happens you done fucked up this is like you remember that old the Christopher Titus sitcom oh yeah Titus one where there is a a bit where um, oh yeah yeah it's the Thanksgiving episode and so the Titus family meets the Fitzpatrick family okay and uh, they're all in the ER and uh, Ken Titus is making fun of uh, Aaron's father because it's like all you do is if you hit them all they learn is how to be drunken Irish losers now see this here see that's psychological that's psychological damage that's gonna last mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see like <laughs> Titus cowering in the corner and is like all broken he's like see that yeah that's psychological that, that's what I'm talking about here 
because that's what the Cenobites are. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, we're gonna start with the hooks and the chains and everything, mm-hmm. but once we get to know you, mm-hmm. oh, buddy. Just a wonderland of horrors for yeah. eternity. Which is what makes uh. it that there's like, oh, he's been in hell the whole movie. Why are we watching? Like, you're watching him figure it out. That's the end of the movie. It's not that he escapes. It's that he has now just realized this is inescapable. This is it. This is you now. Mm-hmm. Bye. Oh, I get it. I don't like it. No. <laughs> yeah. No. no. But uh, yeah, I think this is the strongest move or the the strongest movie until the most recent one. Gotcha. I, again, some of the ones coming up I have not seen uh, apparently, and some of them I just don't remember. Yeah, that's fair. So because got- they're not. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly like without having seen. Uh, Revelations, the one that was just the naked uh, keep the licensing grab. I think right. the next one is the worst one that I've seen. This is a uh, Hellseeker is next. I thought Deader was six. No, it's a uh, Hellseeker, then Deader, then Hellworld. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but uh, the next one does have the return of Ashley Lawrence as Christy right. Cotton. So yes. there's that. Yeah, first time since technically the second one, arguably the third. I mean, she did film that for number three. That's right. Yeah. For some, in my head, it always felt like a deleted scene that they reincorporated. I mean, it does look like it. Yeah. But uh, no, she did. Uh, Ashley Lawrence did like take a day and film that little uh, uh, Chenard video cassette thing for gotcha. uh, number three. But nice. so it, it, it's it's not like Bruce Campbell and Fargo. Fair. <laughs> he is in Fargo, he but it was not Fargo. shot for Fargo. No, it was not. The movie he did shoot originally footage for the TV show. Yes. Which still makes him the only person who was in both. Uh, correct. Yeah. But he also does shoot like a, a, a new soap opera for Intolerable Cruelty. That's true. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. And the, the Coens are going to use him either a soap opera or a newspaper guy. Well, they are. I mean, they're all asshole buddies. Like the Raimi crew and the Cohen crew. They were all. I mean, Bruce. I don't think Bruce lived at the house, but there was a point where there was a house that was the Cohen brothers, Francis McDormand, Sam Raimi, Scott Spiegel, Holly Hunter, and I believe even Kathy Bates lived there for a little bit. Jesus. I didn't know Kathy Bates was in that crew. Very briefly, but and I, I only found that out, I think, in the last year or so. I have to verify that. But, that like, yeah, just the amount of box office and Oscars and mm-hmm. just sheer talent in that house. Yeah. Like, can you That's imagine, awesome. like, hey, let's get together for the holidays and count Oscars. Let's not. I'm sure Bruce doesn't... That's not Bruce's favorite pastime. Eh. Oh, no, I know he doesn't care. Yeah, I don't think he cares. And I think, like, if Sam's like, oh, cool, I mean, like, Oscars, but also billions of dollars in box office. So, like, who's the yeah. winner, really? I mean... We own... Ho- like, we're, we're good. I think yeah. we're all good. Yeah, it's like, dude, I made Spider-Man 2. Yeah. You know, that movie that literally everyone on the planet Earth saw. Yeah. So, you know... Enjoy your Oscar. Mm-hmm. Oh, we will. <laughs> Fuckers. Mm-hmm. We have Oscar fights. So just twing, twing, twing. Like little lightsaber. They do have like at least four between the three. Well, of Francis them. has three alone. She's got three? She she is the only person. She's she, got two. No, she is the only female to be nominated 
for Best Actress and win three times, and she was she won all three times she was nominated what? for uh, Nomadland. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, three billboards. Three billboards. Forgot about No Man Land. And Fargo. Fargo, yeah. And then she's been nominated a bunch for supporting, but has never won supporting. Yeah. Um, and Joel and Ethan have for script for Fargo. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, they get both because weren't they? Were they both? It was still Joel was the credited director in No Country, right? I think by then they were both getting credit. I'm wondering. I think that may have been the last one where it was just Joel gets credit. Because I know that they both got it for Best Picture. Right. But that's... Well, no, because the way they used to split it was Joel was the director, Ethan was the producer. Oh, okay. The producer gets the Oscar for it. But the the Best Picture, they bring everybody up anyway. Yeah, that's true. Because most people don't know who the producer is on a movie. Yeah. Um... Less yet that it is the writer, director, or any of that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so thanks again for tuning in to Cohen Oscar Watch. Uh, we'll see what they put out this year mm-hmm. to see what they get nominated for. But until next week, get out. And go to hell. <laughs>